All right, good evening. I hope everybody's had a good Lord's Day. It's always good to be in the Lord's house in the morning and then to go home in the afternoon and to try to get you a nap. But if you've got five kids, it's very hard to get you a nap. I fell asleep about 4 o'clock. I thought I can sleep for a few minutes. And about 15 minutes later, I had Hallie on my chest prying my eyes open saying, Wake up, wake up, wake up. So I didn't really get me a Lord's Day nap today, but that's all right. It's, it's more fun to have your kids crawling around you like that than to get a nap anyway. Uh, but And then it's good to come back on the Lord's Day for an evening service. So that, I love it. I hope you do too. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, as we got three sermons left in, in 1 Timothy, and, and it's been a good study. We're about six, seven months in, and I've enjoyed it. I hope you have too. Tonight we get to probably the most popular verse in 1 Timothy. If you guys started out and said, name one verse in 1 Timothy to anybody, this is probably the verse that they would say, where it talks about the, the love of money being the, the, the root of all evil. You've heard that before. You know that verse. Uh, so this is probably the most popular verse in, in all of 1 Timothy, and maybe the most practical verse in all of 1 Timothy. As tonight, we're going to look at a, a caution, and it is. It's a caution for all of us, really aimed primarily at the false teachers of the day, but aimed at every one of our hearts, that we would not love money. So it's a caution against the love of money, and we all need to hear this. I think we all have a, a pull in our heart to love money and the things that money can buy. Whether you have money or no money at all, there's that, there's that draw, and we need a caution like this to say, watch your heart so that you don't love money. So we're going to see that tonight. I want to ask you to, to stand with me as we just read verses, I think, 6 through 10. Uh, let, me, let me start in verse, you guys know I do this. I look back and I think, no, I need to get the full context of it all. Uh, let me start in, in <laughs> verse 3. Let's go there. And I'll read through verse 10. I, I don't want to get the full, before I know it, I'll be in First Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let me start in verse 3, talking about false teachers here. And the title of the sermon tonight is The Love of Money. It says in verse 3, If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, and evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men corrupt, of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing, and here's where I wanted to get to, uh, they think that they can get gain out of godliness. They can make money off of their faith. From such, withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For if we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But that they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So tonight I want to give you a caution for the, against the love of money. We live in a world that is absolutely obsessed with money and what money can buy. They say that the average person thinks about money 50% of the day. That's a love of money. So let's look at this caution tonight. And check our hearts to see if we love money or not. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for passages like this. And, and uh, this is a universal thing. All the way back to when this book was written, there were people loving money. Throughout history, it's been the same thing. And even today, it, it may be worse than it's ever been. And God, your church needs to hear this. Christians need to hear this. If anyone in the world shouldn't love money, it should be Christians. If anyone in the world has the right viewpoint of money, it should be the church. We cannot reach a materialistic world by being materialistic. So God, help us to see the error of our ways and to correct that. Repent so that we would pursue what Paul calls here godliness and not greed. So teach us these things tonight. Help me, God, to, to teach these things very clearly so that we can all understand them and that we can all have our hearts set on the right things. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. When I was growing up, one of my favorite shows, and we used to watch it every single Saturday, or I would, I loved to watch Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous. Uh, this was a, an incredible show hosted by a guy with a great voice called Robin Leach, and he would start off the show by saying, I want to show you people today, I want to show you some people who have hit the jackpot in life's will of fortune. 
And he would take you to, to the richest people's houses in all the world. He would show you their boats and their cars and their homes and their closets and all the vacations that they would take. And at the end of it, he would say, may every one of you have, you've all heard it before, champagne wishes and caviar dreams. And watching that show, I would sit there and in my mind, I would say, I want everything that he just showed me. It developed within anybody really who watched it a desire to have what they had. To covet the things that you would see there. The houses and the cars and the, the lifestyles. I would see that and I would think, I want to grow up and I want to be rich like them. I wouldn't even watch cartoons as a kid and see Scrooge McDuck jumping into a, a tower full of money. And I'd say, that's what I want. That drives people to, to play the lottery. It drives people to, to fill out their publisher's clearinghouse if there's still such a thing. It drives people to, to work obsessively to try to gain things, to get money. And that becomes the motivation of, of young people's lives when they see these things and they, they grow up and they want to be rich and they want to be famous. They, they have that wish and that, that dream to be rich. And that becomes the driving force of their life. They are consumed with what I can get. They'll pursue not a career that they love, but a career that will give them money. So that show, maybe harmless in its intent, caused a lot of people in my generation to want to have that drive to be rich. And it's a very dangerous thing for anyone to love so money so much that it becomes the driving factor of their lives. And it's not just for us, it is dangerous for us, but it's especially dangerous for somebody who's going to stand up behind a pulpit and teach. That their main motivation is gain. That's dangerous. If you find a pastor or a preacher or a teacher or an evangelist or any, any kind of person in the church who their main motivation is to gain, it's scary. That's exactly what Paul's talking about here. He's mentioned the false teachers. I've read that. He told us what their actions were. He told us uh, what they were teaching. They were not teaching wholesome words, but they were teaching proud words that they, they knew nothing about. They were destitute of the truth. These were false teachers within the church. And then he goes even deeper away from their actions into the, to the very heart of these false teachers and says that their main motivation was gain. You can see that there at the end of verse 5. Verses 3 through 5, we preach this passage, and at the end of it, he said, they're supposing, they, they think that they can gain from godliness. They're in it for the money. That's the, the heart of these false teachers was a, a love for money. They were in it for the, the cash. They wanted to gain from godliness. They wanted to get rich off religion. They wanted fame off their faith. And I think that's the, the heart of every false teacher. You look at false teachers, you say, how can they teach such things? And how can they go so far? And the answer is always, it's a drive for more money for them. There was even a teaching today, and it's very prominent, and, and you guys have all heard of the prosperity gospel. Uh, and these guys get up and preach that God wants us all to be wealthy. And they say those things to try to get you to give money because the more you give, the more they get. It's not so much that God wants all people to be prosperous, it's that they think God wants them to be prosperous. They say if you believe in Jesus, you'll get money. They say, literally, that Jesus died for our poverty. So that it's your lack of faith is the reason you're not rich. These guys are people like T.D. Jakes and Paula White and Joel Osteen and the perfectly named Creflo Dollar. These all preach a prosperity gospel and they're, they're, what you say, what's their motivation? It's a game. They're doing exactly what these false teachers are doing here. They think and suppose that they can gain from their faith or gain from godliness or get rich off religion and they're doing it left and right and they're, they're flying around in planes and driving, uh, Bentleys and, and they're wearing high-end suits. We talked about that earlier in 1 Timothy. They're willing to do or say or teach anything to get money. Willing to use and abuse people to get rich. Willing to do all kinds of evil just to get a, a little bit more money. So Paul gives us warning here of teachers like that. Who are in it just for the money. Who have crept their way into the church at Ephesus and they love money more than they love anything else in the world. So he says here that teachers shouldn't. Christians shouldn't. None of us should have a love for money. That should not be the driving force of any of our lives. So he gives us a warning here on 
loving money. And I, I want us to look at it. I'm going to give you two choices here tonight. Just in the two points in, in these verses. You're either going to live a, a godly life or you're going to live a, a greedy life. It's one or the other. And by the end, we'll make a choice of which one you're living. Are you living a godly life where you love God more than anything? Or are you living a, a greedy life where you love money more than anything? It's, it's one of two categories. So let's look at it. I want to start tonight with the, the gain of a godly life. And that's, that's in verse 6. Uh, again, looking back at verse, verse 5, he says that they thought, and I want you to see the, the order of words here, they thought, and, and the first word here, they suppose, in verse 5, that gain, that's the first word, they're in it for the gain. They're seeking to gain out of godliness. That, that's the whole goal. You, you look at the first word, and that's their motivation, and that's what they're after. That gain is godliness. Gain was first. I'm going in here to teach and to preach so that I'll get gain out of it. But now in verse 6, he switches it. Godliness comes before the gain. You see how he switched it there? In verse 6, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So he says, here's the real gain. Here's the, the great gain. Here's the, the mega gain. And it is found in a pursuit of godliness. So I want you to see this first point is that pursuit here is godliness. We're not after greed. We're not after money. We're not after gain. Our pursuit here must be godliness. He switches it here. That godliness is now our pursuit. Godliness is our driving force. Godliness becomes the, the, the main motivation of our life. The main motivation of, of a preacher standing up here is not that he would get gain, but that his people would become godly. That's the main focus of any good pastor. Not that he would get gain, but that his people would become more godly. That should be the driving force of every one of our lives. That when we wake up in the morning, what drives us every day is to be more godly. That's what he's saying here. We, we need to, that godliness would be our gain. And he's, he's mentioned that several times. Verse 8 of chapter 4. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. He wants us pursuing godliness. You say, what's, what's godliness? I'm glad you asked. That's the attitude of, it should be the attitude of every Christian. It's been the focus, uh, you, you can look up godliness, it's been the focus of 1 Timothy throughout. We ought to be pursuing, t becoming more like Christ. When you hear godliness, think of Godlike. That we should be becoming more like God in our thinking, more like God in our living, more like God in our character, more like God in our homes, more like God in our relationships, more like God at work, more like God everywhere we go, that we are developing a godliness in our life. That's what we want. May I become. Philippians 3, Paul said that. I give up everything that I would become more like Christ. Matthew 6, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And I'll give you everything else. But your driving force, what motivates you in your life, is to become more godly. I want to be a more godly father, a more godly husband, a more godly pastor, a more godly friend. I want to be as godly as I can be. That's the driving motivation. And when that becomes number one in your life, when that becomes what drives you, then you'll get the game. Notice that. Godliness becomes your pursuit, then the gain will be your prize. You say, what's the gain? What's this? This is so good if you'll pay attention. If you'll pursue godliness with every bit of your motivation and drive, then you'll get something out of it. But it won't be money. It'll be, look what it says first thing, a satisfied heart. That's what the word there is. Godliness will bring you contentment, which is great gain. The word there, contentment, means satisfied. I, I like the word enough. The difference between these two, and I think I'll forget it later, so I'm going to say it now. The difference between living a godly life and a greedy life, the godly life says I have enough, and the greedy life says I need more. If you'll pursue godliness, then you'll have enough. 
That's what it says there. That's what the word contentment is. It's a satisfied heart. It means I've got enough. I'm okay. I'm not pursuing anything else. I'm not after anything at all. I've got enough. I'm happy with whatever God gives me. If He gives me a lot, great. If He gives me a little, great. Whatever God gives me, I'm fine with. Because I got what I'm after. Godliness. Philippians 4, if you want to turn there real quick. This is a great passage. We all know it. Philippians 4, verse 12. Paul says this, I know both how to be abased and I know how to to be abound. Everywhere in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. That's what he's saying. I can go either way. I can have a lot or I can have a little. I can be rich. I can be poor. I can be abound or I can be abased. Either way, I'm fine. I've got enough. I'm pursuing godliness with everything that I have. And whatever God gives me is more than enough. I'm content. So that he says in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Not I can hit home runs and dunk basketballs, but I can have a lot or I can have a little. I can do anything because I've got God. That's being rich. That you're happy no matter what God gives you because your pursuit isn't gain. It's it's godliness. The richest people in the world are the most content. So he says it'll it'll bring you a satisfied life. that's, That's the first thing. Godliness will bring you contentment, which is being satisfied. And then in verse 7, he says it'll give you a sound mind. You won't have to worry about anything. What's this? I like that. If you'll pursue godliness, you'll be satisfied and you'll have a sound mind because you understand this truth. That we brought nothing into this world and we can be certain we're going to carry nothing out. So why should I spend my whole life in between coming in and going out chasing things that don't really matter? That's what he's saying there. I've had five kids. I've been in the delivery room for all five kids. And none of them brought anything into this world with them. None of them came in with, with Air Jordans on their feet. None of them came in, you know, with all these finer things. They all came in naked and without, without anything. And I've seen people die and I've seen people buried and nobody takes anything with them. So why should we spend the time between our entrance and our exit worried about all these extra things? That's what he's saying there. Just, just understand. Have a sound mind. That we entered with nothing, we'll exit with nothing. If you understand the bookends, you'll understand what matters in the middle. Listen to this. This is, this is throughout the Bible, Job 121. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked I'll return. Job understood. I lost everything, but I came in naked and I'm going to leave naked. I'm not going to worry about all these things in between. Because I'm chasing godliness. That's what matters. I'll give you another one. The wisest man who ever lived said this, Ecclesiastes 5, As he came forth of his mother's womb naked, shall he return to go as he came, and will take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hands. Taking nothing with him. The wisest man, and maybe the richest man who ever lived, said, I understand, I came naked, I'm leaving naked, I shouldn't worry about all the extra in between. I don't have to think about those things. It, It doesn't really matter. We won't chase those things. The stuff we get isn't mine and it won't last, so why should we spend our whole life pursuing it? So, if we leave with only our soul, then the aim ought to be godliness. Nobody's going to take a house or a car or a trip or your stuff with you. Why should you spend the entire life pursuing it? Rockefeller died and somebody asked him, said, how much did he leave? And the answer was, Everything. Rockefeller, one of the richest men who ever lived, left with the same amount that I'm going to leave with. He left naked. And lastly, look at this. This is the game. So you, you, if you'll pursue godliness, you'll have a satisfied life. You'll have a sound mind. And you'll live a simple life. Look what it says. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. So from the entrance to the exit, let's just be content with the basics, the, the, the bare necessities of life. 
That's what he's saying there. If you just pursue godliness, all you really have to worry about, all you, all, and God will take care of those things, the bare necessities. The food and the clothes and the, the roof over your head. God never promised us luxuries. He promised us necessities. That's it. Anything above food and clothes, be thankful for and enjoy it. It doesn't take a whole lot in life. I, I hope you know that. I'm one of the best times of my life. I'm enjoying life now, but I look back when me and Steph and Isaiah and Gracie moved to Lynchburg. Mom and Dad know all about this. We moved up there. We, we quit our jobs and pound, went up to go to seminary. We had nothing. We, 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 we uh, wasn't buying anything. We, we'd go out on Friday nights and just walk through stores and look because we couldn't buy anything. But we had a roof over our head, clothes on our back, and food in our bellies. And it was one of the greatest times of my life. We'd come home in the evenings, and, and we, and my mom and dad would bring us Sam's. And, and they, they, they would bring us a, 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 a jug of peanut butter about that big and about that round. And I, I've got a picture of Isaiah sitting there with, with a spoon elbow deep into that peanut butter just eating it. And I, I look at that picture often and I say, that was a simple life. It was a simple life. Clothes on our back, roof over our head, and food in our bellies. And we were as happy as we ever could be. Yeah, amen. It don't take much. You know why we were happy? I think about it. Because our sole focus when we were at Liberty in our first year of seminary was godliness. That's why we went. That's the purpose in us going. I have to be more godly to pursue what God has called me to be. And I was satisfied with whatever God gave me. And I sound mind knowing that, that I, I came into this world naked and I'm going to leave naked and I really don't have to worry about anything in between. And God was taking care of me and my wife and two kids and we were as happy as we could be. I think in that moment we were richer than any man on the face of the earth. You know why? Because the richest person in the world is the most content person in this world. Not the one who needs more things, but the one who needs less things. That's who's rich. You want to be rich? Want less things. Not get more things. He's showing us how to live life. It doesn't take much. Live for godliness. Live like Christ is your gain. And you'll be the richest person on the face of the earth. I'll even say right now, I'm richer than the richest man on the face of the earth. I don't have what Elon Musk has, but I don't need what Elon Musk needs. I have everything that God could ever give me. And I'm the richest man on the face of the earth. So I need to wake up every morning not pursuing more things, but pursuing godliness. And you'll get satisfied life, a sound mind, and a simple life. That's all we want. That's all we're after as Christians. So there's number one. Do you have enough? Is godliness enough for you? Then you're living a godly life. Second, I want to show you the loss of a greedy life. I showed you the gain of a godly life, and I want to show you the loss of a greedy life. This is the exact opposite. This is the other hand. If you look at it, it says in verse 9, but they that will be rich. You see that? So this is the other hand. This is a contrast. He, he changes. He's saying, on one hand, it's a, the gain from a, a godly life, but now let's talk about somebody whose sole pursuit in life is to be rich. They lose. If your sole pursuit in life is godliness, you'll gain. If your sole pursuit in life is to get rich, you'll lose. Look what it says. Verse 9, but they that will be rich. Those not rich now, that's verse 17 of the same chapter, charge them that are rich in this world. This isn't those who are rich right now. This is those who, and it would read, who purpose to be rich, who decide they want to be rich, who pursue rich riches, who approach life with the main goal of, I need to get rich. I call these wannabes. They, they want to be rich. You can't do both. You can't pursue godliness and gain. You've got to choose one. And these have chosen gain. They've chosen riches. They would be rich. Not godliness, but gain. It's their number one pursuit. 
It's their greatest ambition. It's their driving force. This would be the greedy. This would be the, the ones who, who love money. These would be your most people in the world today. More money. That's all they want. So it says, watch what happens to them. It's a tragic loss. But they that would be rich, I'm going to give you three things that will happen to them. You guys ready for this? I gave you three things that, that comes with godliness, and I'm going to give you three things that comes with greed. And it's guaranteed. If you live a greedy life, this will happen to you. But they that will be rich will be led to all kinds of bad places. Look what it says. Will fall into temptation and snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts. Do you see that? If that's their pursuit, I want you to get this picture in your mind. And all they're doing is chasing the mighty dollar. It's almost like a carrot on a stick. That you're putting it out in front of, they used to they put it out in front of a horse or a donkey, and the donkey would follow wherever the carrot was. But we're not following after a carrot. It's, it's like a, a dollar on a stick. And they, they put it out in front of us, and we're like a little baby trying to get a piece of candy, and we're following wherever that is. Wherever that dollar may lead, I'm, I'm gonna go. I gotta follow the dollars. I gotta, I gotta follow the money. I, I, I gotta get rich. And it's, it's out in front of you. And it will lead you. You're not even looking where you're going. You're following the dollar. The mighty dollar. And you're following it. It'll take you to all kinds of bad places. I've seen it. You've seen it. And it says here, it'll lead you into all kinds of bad things here. It says to fall into temptation. It'll lead you to sin. It'll fall into snares and traps. It'll follow you into hurtful and foolish lusts. Even the love of money, it says, will lead you to all kinds of different evils. When the love of money controls you, it will lead you to some of the worst places you'll ever find. You say, like what? I'll just give you a few examples. It'll lead you to take bribes. You know it's wrong, but I want that dollar. It'll lead you to cheat. I know it's wrong. I know I shouldn't cheat on my taxes, but I, I know it's wrong. But if I cheat on my taxes, I'll get more of that dollar. So now you're cheating. It'll lead you to take advantage of people. We were at the gas station yesterday. We pulled in. I don't, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this story, but we pulled in. And I went to put my money, my debit card in the gas pump, and it, it was already ready to pump. It said on there, prepaid $10. I was sitting there thinking, today's my lucky day. Lifestyles of the, of the rich and famous. I got, I got $10. Somebody's messed this up. I looked at Steph and said, should I take this? We went and asked the cashier. I said, I'm going to make sure I got this right. I don't want to cheat anybody at all. I don't want to get arrested either. But I walked up. <laughs> I walked up to the cashier. She said, it's yours. Take it. I went back and said, Steph, she told me to take it. Steph went and talked to the cashier herself. She said, I don't believe you. Cashier said, take it. I looked at her and I said, we can't. This might be a mistake. Somebody's paid and they're going to come back and they're going to want this. I want that extra $10 so bad. Gas is $4 a gallon. But the right thing for us to do is to go to another pump. Lead you to take advantage of people. Love of money leads you to steal. Why do people steal? Love of money. It'll lead you to abuse people. It'll lead you to make partnerships with people that you should never partner with. I've seen friendships with people. You sh why, why in the world would you join with them? Chasing that dollar. All kinds of traps. All kinds of snares. All kinds of things. It'll, it'll lead you to dishonor your mom and dad. It'll lead you to, to gambling. It'll lead you to envy. It'll lead, it'll lead you to, to hatred. It'll lead you to, to being a false teacher. That you're chasing the dollar. And if I can just not say what this really says, then I'll get more money in the offering plate. I'm chasing the dollar and not godliness. 
It'll lead you to skip church. You tell me how many people, and maybe somebody in this room, and I'm, I'm not judging at all, but I've, I've heard so many people, so many people. I took a new job. Is it going to take you away from church? Yeah, but it's a $5 an hour raise. Yeah, I won't be at church at all. But it's such a good opportunity. Are you chasing godliness or are you chasing gain? Just think about those decisions. It'll lead you to, to divorce. It'll lead to rebellious kids. You say, how's that? How many men have you seen that work their fingers to the bone chasing the mighty dollar and they never have quantity or quality time with their kids? And they ain't home to love their wife. Or they, this is going to get me in so much trouble. They want the money so bad that they're going to work and they're going to make their wife work and their wife's going to go off and they're going to go off and they're apart more than they're together. All because we need more of this. Are you chasing godliness or are you chasing gain? Chasing gain will lead you to all kinds of traps and snares and hurtful and foolish lusts. You become animalistic in your desires. And this isn't fun to talk about. I, I get it. And I don't have this mastered at all. There's things in my cart right now on my phone that I want so bad. I get it. I know, I know how hard this is. We live in a culture that you look on Facebook and, and this person has this and, and they just bought this and, and their house looks like this and they got this and you sit there and all you do is, is covet and covet and how can I get more of this when our goal should be godliness, not greed. On and on and on, the love of money will take you to some awful places. Awful places. Awful places. And then it'll lead to, I mean, how many people have you seen it bleed? This just makes sense to me. Does it not make sense to you? I've seen people chase money to so many evil places. So many evil places. All for the dollar. Second, let's, let's keep going. And I, I'm just as apt to do that as anybody. That's the reason I need stuff like this. Amen. Then he says, which, at the end of verse 9, which drowned men in destruction and perdition. And those are terrible, gruesome words. Words used of a sinking ship that, that goes down. And it says, and it would read, to plunge men. The love of money will plunge men. It's almost like giving them a rock and throwing them in the ocean. And they sink to the bottom. That's what love, the love of money will do. And it will do that. This isn't, might do that. If you love money, it will drown you. It'll sink you like a lost ship and you'll be lost forever. And it even says in verse 10 that it'll, air, it'll lead you to err from the faith. It's going to destroy your life. It will destroy your spiritual life. Not might, a hundred percent will. If you love money, more than anything else in this world, it will destroy your spiritual life. Watch and see. Just watch people who love money. Watch them. It'll destroy them. I don't care who you are. Watch people in Hollywood who have more money than they know what to do with. It destroys their lives. Watch musicians. Watch politicians. Do you know what most politicians in, in Washington, D.C. are chasing? They're not trying to be good servants of the nation. Most of them. Most of them are just after the dollar. And it led them to the Senate. It led them to the House. It led them to the White House. It leads them to, to wherever it is they go. They're not trying to be good citizens and serve the nation. They're trying to get more money. And a lot of them have good intentions when they get there, right? But when they get there... It becomes more of this. And it leads them to do all kinds of evil things. I think a lot of pastors have good intentions. I think maybe even, no, I, don't, I don't know, I don't know his heart. Some of these false teachers may have good intentions when they started and they got behind the pulpit and, and then they got a, a little bit of a taste of it. 
And the compromises started coming. Just a little bit here and a little bit there and I'll get more offerings. And I'll get book deals. And I'll get so, I'm so thankful that God hasn't, that temptation hasn't been laid in front of me. Even a small church like ours, that temptation is there. But the bigger you get, the more the temptation's there. It leads to destruction. It can lead people straight to hell. I mean, you're following that dollar straight into the pits of hell. Let me, let me show you the last one here and I'll close. I've literally only got two pages left of notes. I'm giving you guys a break tonight. Hard preaching. Short sermon. Look at that. It says, but they who will follow after riches pursue it. That's the motivation. That's their heart. It'll lead them to temptation and snare and foolish and hurtful lusts. It'll drown them or, or plunge them into destruction and perdition. That, that's hell. And it says, for the love of money. And that's the love of money, not money. Loving it, pursuing it, desiring it. The motivation is money. It's the root of all kinds of evil. It just spreads out into all kinds of different, different evil places. It says, which while some coveted after, you see, they, they varied from the faith. So he knows some people who's done this. What he's saying there is, which you see that he says, which while some coveted after it. I've seen it happen, he's saying. I've seen this happen. I've seen them err from the faith because they love money so much. I've seen it happen. And then he says, and it pierced, they pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I could give you examples, personal examples. I could give you biblical examples. You want a few? I wrote some down here. The rich young ruler who come and asked Jesus about the way of eternal life. And Jesus told him to go and sell all that he had and pick up his cross and follow him. And he left weeping because he had great possessions. Simon Magus in Acts, who come and tried to pay for the Holy Spirit power. Ananias and Sapphira. Lot's wife, who chose Sodom and Gomorrah because it was prosperous. Demas, who loved the world. And Judas, who was 30 pieces of silver. I can give you biblical examples of people who've ruined their lives out of love of money. I can give you personal examples of people who've ruined their lives, their families, their own soul because of a love for money. And then it says there at the end, they've pierced through with many sorrows, many griefs. People who love money are the most miserable people on the planet because they're never satisfied. There's no contentment. They're like trying to satisfy your thirst by taking a big old cup of salt water and drinking it. It never satisfies and all you're going to want is more. And it's never going to satisfy. It's never going to satisfy. It's never going to satisfy. They are the most miserable people on the planet. Why on earth would we pursue money when all it's going to give us is more misery? Amen. We need money. We work for money. We spend it wisely. But it is not what we love and it is not our motivation. They're the most miserable people on the planet. Money has never made anyone rich where it matters. Money's made a lot of people miserable. Read the Reader's Digest. Oh, I'm showing my age there. Used to go in Granny and Papaw's. <laughs> Wasn't a whole lot to do. Just had a few channels on the TV and their big box TV there. And you looked over in the, on the side beside the chair and there's four billion Reader's Digests. I learned to read on Reader's Digest. You'd open those things up, I'd go to the jokes, I'd read the stories. It, it, was a, it was actually pretty good. Story after story of people who won the lottery and that ruined their life and they'd say, I, the worst thing that ever happened to me was winning the lottery. Let me, let me, let me add this in there. I watched, <laughs> believe it or not, I watched a few episodes of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous on YouTube this week. It's not as good as I remember it. But a lot of the people who were on that show are flat broke today. They showed wrestlers who I just watched a documentary on that same wrestler and how he's ruined his life. And it was just in the 80s. He was a lifestyle of the rich and famous. And now he's a lifestyle of in the dumps. 
Money never made anyone rich where it matters. It made a lot of people miserable. Let me give you this. You say, how can that be? (laughs) Because money can buy medicine. But it can't buy health. Money can buy a house. But it can't buy you a home. Money can buy you companions. But it can't buy you any friends. Money can buy you entertainment. But it can't buy you happiness. Money can buy you a bed. Big, nice bed with Egyptian cotton sheets. But it can't buy you a good night's sleep. Money can buy you a good life. But it can't buy you eternal life. Money's made nobody rich where it matters. But it's made a lot of people miserable. And we look out and we look at these rich people and think they got it made. You know who has it made? The young couple with two kids in an apartment in Lynchburg with a jug of peanut butter that we can wrap our arms around. While Isaiah's elbow deep in that thing with peanut butter running down his face. That's the richest people on the planet. Oh, but we don't look at that as rich. Josh, you couldn't buy anything. You you went to the Golden Corral and was sneaking stuff on your plate for the kids. Oh, but we were rich. Oh, but we were rich. Beyond our imagination, we were rich. You know what I had then? And I I think I have it now. I, I didn't have a house, but boy, I had a home. I might not have had companions, but I had some good friends. I couldn't buy entertainment. We couldn't buy a movie ticket. But I had happiness. I couldn't buy a big old bed with Egyptian cotton sheets. But I slept good at night. I didn't have what everybody called a good life. But I had eternal life. I was rich where it mattered. So there's your two options. The gain of a godly life or the loss of a greedy life. Which one are you? I'm going to try to help you figure it out real quick. So it's going to be a short sermon. I might have told you a fib. Here's some characteristics of somebody who lives a greedy life. You ready for this? Money dominates their thoughts. I got this from Johnny's PowerPoint in Sunday school. I need, to, I need to give the characteristics of these people. So you can say, is that me or not? So a greedy person, money dominates their thoughts. I said that. Many, many people think about money over 50% of the, of the day. Does money dominate your thoughts? Whether I, where can I get it? How can I keep it? Where can I spend it? Does money dominate your thoughts? And when you get up, it's about money. If money dominates your thoughts, you just might be greedy. The success of others make you mad. When you see somebody with more than you have, you, you're, you get on Facebook and they get a new car and it makes you mad because it's nicer than your car. Or they bought a new house and it looks so nice on the inside. And, and, and I thought mine was great, but now that I see theirs, mine looks awful. I need something else. That makes me mad. Is that you? Is your happiness defined by what you have and not who you are? You might be greedy. Is your family neglected because you're chasing money? You might be greedy. Is your eyes closed to the needs of others? You might be greedy. Do you fear losing money? You might be greedy. Do you borrow into bondage, which most people in America are doing today? You might be greedy. Does God get what's left over and not what's first? You might be greedy. Now let me give you a few characteristics of godliness. If if you're pursuing the godly life, then you understand that God owns it all. That everything that I have comes from the the generous hand of Almighty God. And you're thankful for every bit of it all. Again, you're like Paul. I'm, I'm okay with having a lot. I'm okay with having a little because whatever God wants me to have is good enough for me. The godly life says I have enough. The greedy life says I need more. 
So you're, you, you might you might be godly if you if you understand God owns it all. You might be godly if you're thankful for it all. You might be godly if you're willing to give it all away. I'm after godliness. You can have everything else. You might be godly if you're content and happy with whatever God gives you. Now again, I struggle with this. I do. I like things. I've got a cart full of things that I go and look at sometimes. And I want to, I just want to sit there and buy. <laughs> I've got a, a hooded sweatshirt that I'm after right now. I'm eyeing that thing. So I, I don't have this. I, I don't have this conquered. But I'll tell you what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do is I'm trying to find that what the Puritans call the rare jewel of contentment. Where with whatever I'm at, I'm okay. And I hope we all can do that. We don't need to be a greedy church. We need to be a godly church. I'll close with this. I added this right before I got here this evening. In the 1960s, the Beatles wrote a song called Money. <laughs> That's what I want. And it said, the lyric here said, Money don't get everything. It's true. But what it don't get, I can't use. Just give me the money. And the song goes on, beautiful lyrics. Give me the money, that's what I want. Give me the money, that's what I want. Oh, 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 give me the money, that's what I want. Beautiful lyrics. And at the end of one of the Beatles, John Lennon's life, he wrote a song called The Ballad of John and Yoko. I don't know if you've heard of that one. This is right before he died. He left the Beatles Yoko had broke them up. And in that song, I don't know if you guys, you can look it up, it says this. Last night the wife said, oh boy, when you're dead, <laughs> you don't take nothing with you but your soul. And then it ends with think. And that's what I want you to do tonight as we leave. He spent his whole life Money, money, money. That's what I want. Oh, 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 oh. And then at the end of his life, his wife reminds him, you can't take none of that with you but your soul. So think about that. The psalmist would say, say law. To stop for just a few seconds and to think, I can't take anything with me but my soul. So I probably need to spend more time working on being godly than I do being greedy. Think on that. What is the most important? I think that's what John and Yoko was trying to figure out there at the end of their life or his life. Think about that. He probably had more at that point than anybody could ever imagine. But he couldn't take none of it with him. And he died in an instant outside of a building in New York City when somebody shot him. And he didn't take none of it with him, but his soul. Let's spend more time trying to be godly and less time trying to be greedy. And let's ask God to give us that rare jewel of contentment where we don't say more. We say, I got enough. Let's pray. Father, I know this is a tough passage. It was for me. To examine my life and to see what I'm pursuing, what my motivation is. I think this gets down deep into our hearts. What we live for, what we strive to get. And, and it was convicting for me. And God, I, I know, I hope the people here understand that I'm not aiming to, this at them. I'm not trying to, to be mean. Just teaching a very valuable truth. Asking some hard questions. What's our driving motivation? And I pray that you would help us. This is a hard prayer to pray, to be content, to have that rare jewel of contentment where we have enough. And God, I thank you that I have, I believe, more than enough. We could be content with the roof over our head and clothes on our back and food in our bellies, but we've got, oh, so much more than that. We should spend every single day on our knees thanking you for all that you've blessed us with. 
and not striving for more. So God, teach us how to be content. I said it at the beginning that a materialistic Christian is not going to reach a materialistic world. A materialistic church is not going to reach a materialistic world. Only, I believe this, a content church can really stand out in this materialistic world. So help us, God, to do that, to be content with what it is you've given us. We thank you for even the tough passages that convict us. And I pray that we would use this, God, to become more godly every single day. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.